Let's pray before we begin tonight, and let's ask God to really speak to our hearts tonight. Father, as we come to this glorious subject tonight, once again we remember the day when Jesus came into the world. Father, we thank you that he didn't have to come, but he chose to come to lay his life down for humanity, because humanity had no other way to be saved. Father, I just want to give you great thanks tonight that you gave your only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And Father, we are those who deserve to perish. We are those who deserve all that hell has. Father, we deserve it all. We deserve the lake of fire because of our sin and our, our willful rebellion against you. And yet by your grace, you've plucked us as brands from the burning. And Father, I thank you so much with all my heart for the day that Jesus sought me out and found me. Thank you for that wonderful day when our sins were rolled away and the love of Jesus dawned in our hearts. Thank you that the Son of Righteousness rose and there was healing in his wings on that day. And Father, as we come through to the study tonight, Father, I just come with such a grateful heart. Father, will I ever forget that glorious day when my sins were washed away? Father, I pray that you will never allow us to, Father, lose the reality of that first day, that dawning when we suddenly saw there was hope and God loved us enough to send his own son. Father, tonight, as we rejoice in your forgiveness, we ask, Father, that we should learn to be a forgiving people. And I do pray, Lord, that you will take control of my mouth and of my tongue. And I pray that the words that I speak won't be my words, but they will come straight from your heart to your beloved people. In Jesus' name, I would ask it. Amen. Amen. I hope you remember that I'm completing the basic course of Bible studies by talking about what I consider are the essentials for growth. In other words, the things that we have to know, the things we have to do if we're going to grow successfully and become really strong in the Lord. And do you remember we've talked about prayer, we've talked about taking in the Word of God, and last time I spoke about the life of faith. And I spoke about walking in the Spirit, walking in faith, in other words, knowing what God has done for us, and putting it into operation and into action. And what I want to do is to continue in the studies which I've called exercising in the Spirit. Remember, we're talking about the exercises we have to do every day to make sure that our muscles are really strong and that our spirits are really strong. And I want to go back to the base passage that I've been to before. That is the prayer that the Lord taught his disciples found in Matthew and chapter 6. Because if you remember, we've seen that the course of Bible studies has actually followed the plan given in this particular passage. Matthew and chapter 6. And let's see where we've reached. Let me read it from verse 9, and I'm in the King James Version still. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. 
The wrongly named Lord's Prayer, he never actually uh, prayed this prayer. He never asked for his sins to be forgiven or his trespasses to be forgiven because he didn't have any to be forgiven. This is definitely not the Lord's Prayer. It's definitely the disciples' prayer. And every one of us in this room has to pray this particular prayer or our prayers have to be ordered in this way. Verse 9, After this manner, he says, Therefore pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Do remember that was the base verse for the talks that I gave concerning prayer. And then we came on to verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. And that was our base passage when I talked about nourishment and taking in the word of God and eating the word of God. All right, now the verses we come to now, which complete the disciples' prayer here, verse 12, verse 13. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or literally deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Read verse 12 and 13 again. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And when you read this, the first thing that strikes you is this isn't the Lord's Prayer as we know it, right? This isn't the prayer as we recite it, perhaps with our children. For the word we normally say is not forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, but forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. That's what we normally say, isn't it? And you'll notice down in verse 14, a different word is used, and it's the word trespasses here. Verse 14, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And it's two different words. The word debt in verse 12 is an entirely different word to the word trespasses used in verse 14. And by the way, in another gospel, and I think we'll turn to it, in Luke 11, where this disciples' prayer is given again, another word is used as well. In Luke 11, and let's read it through again, verse 2, 3, and 4. And he said unto them, When you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. Different word again. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And you might say, well, why are these three different words actually used here? Do you know why three different words are used here? They all relate to the general category of sin. It's to show us the length and breadth of the love and forgiveness of God. You see, debts, trespasses, and sins are actually very distinct. They are very, used very distinctly, certainly in the Old Testament. You all know what a debt is, don't you? It occurs when you owe someone something. Now, of course, the Bible says, don't be a debtor, so I'm sure none of you have any debts whatsoever, and uh, except to love one another, that is, and I'm sure you're paying that all the time. But a debt occurs when you owe something someone. And here, the person you owe something to is Father. And you are saying, forgive us the debts that we have, which are on your slate, right? My name is written in heaven, and there are debts under the name. 
The idea behind this is this, that God is the great creator and we are the creatures. He has created us. And you know, if you create something, you expect full obedience from that, that thing. You do agree, don't you? I mean, if you create a certain object, say you are, you're a potter and you make a mug, you expect that mug to be functional. You expect it, it to do exactly what you tell it to do. The people who make your, uh, the goods that you buy, they are the creators, as it were, of the goods, and the goods are expected to obey the rules, you know, that the creator has put there. And when you go and buy the goods, by the way, a washing machine or a, a spin dryer or something like that, if the thing doesn't go right, you'd send it back to the maker. You see, don't you? I mean, you expect the thing to actually obey you, and if it doesn't, you've got a debt, actually, which uh, you expect the manufacturer to actually pay you. Now, God, when he created us, he expects total and full obedience, as far as we are concerned. We are the creatures that he has created. We are the work of his hands, the work of his fingers, and do you know God has a right to expect total and complete obedience to him? And when we are not obedient to him, it's a debt that we have, you see, as far as God's concerned. And here, the person is saying, God, forgive me the debt. I have not done what I should have done. I've done that which I ought not to have done. You are the creator. I should have been obedient. I haven't been obedient. It's a debt. I ask you to forgive me my debts. A trespass is also sinful, of course. It's, it's a sin. A trespass in the Old Testament was generally something that you did deliberately or something that you knew that you had done. And uh, that's, that's what you meant. So if, if you uh, went to the temple and you knew you'd committed a particular sin, you used to have to offer what was called a trespass offering. And it used to be with the particular sin that you'd done in mind that you offered it. Sin, however, was used in a different way in the Old Testament. Sin meant any sin that you committed, even a sin that you didn't know that you committed. And they had a trespass offering and a sin offering. Trespass offering for the sin you knew you committed. Um, the sin offering was, of course, for the sin that you knew you'd committed, but you didn't actually know in detail what you'd done. You knew you'd offended God. We offend God in many ways that we cannot actually list, you know, or enumerate. And these are sins. Well, in the Old Testament, it was used specifically for that. And you see, these three words are used to show us that no matter what our misdemeanor has been, Whichever category it comes in, we can go to God and we can ask him for forgiveness and we can expect to receive forgiveness. I think these three different words are used to show us that everything's included. Praise God. It's not just the known sins, it's the unknown sins as well. And it's not just the unknown sins, it's the sins that you knew about that are included in this. It's the debts that you know that you've got. Everything is included. And in, by using three different words, he shows us the length and the breadth and the height and the depth of the love and forgiveness of God. Now, that's lovely. And if you have a look at this, you'll notice it says we can ask God to forgive us our debts, forgive us our trespasses, forgive us our sins. And then it adds a little bit here. And of course, it's the main subject of the Bible study tonight. Even as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And when we're talking about exercise, what we're talking about is this. Because we are forgiven ourselves, so we forgive others. 
And as we move in forgiveness, having received his forgiveness, so we are exercising ourselves in our most holy faith. All right? But let's have a look at forgiveness, first of all, because I think if we can understand something about what forgiveness really is, we can understand something about moving in forgiveness to one another. Could I say immediately, there is only forgiveness in the work of Jesus Christ. Do you know that that's the case? There is forgiveness in none other but in Jesus himself. And the lovely thing about Jesus is this. He is our trespass offering, and he is also our sin offering. Isn't that lovely? He covers both. He covers the known sins. He covers the unknown sins as well. And I think it's ten years ago that I did a tape on 1 John 1, 9. And one of the points I made there, and I'm so glad I haven't changed my mind about this, one of the points I made there is this. You confess the sins you know... And God will forgive not only the sins you know, but all the sins you don't know as well. Do you remember it says that? If we confess our sins, and they're the ones that we know that we've committed, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, but it doesn't stop there. It says, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that lovely? He's the trespass offering and the sin offering in one person. The other good thing for us is this. He's also the debt payer. Praise God. If you turn to Colossians 2.14, that's exactly what that verse actually means. Colossians and chapter 2, verse 14. Oh, I'm going to read verse 13 because I like it. Right? Colossians 2.13 and 14. And it says here, And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Isn't that good news? But then it goes on, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. Now that is a little phrase meaning the IOUs, the debts, the thing that was on the slate. Right? Verse 14, blotting out the IOUs that were against us, which were contrary to us, he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And so through 1 John 1, 9, through Colossians 2.14, we see this. Jesus is the one who's paid the debts. He's the one who forgives the trespasses, and he's the one who forgives the sins. Why? His forgiveness covers every single situation. And it's lovely, you know, on, on the cross, after six hours on the cross, Jesus uttered one Greek word. We have to use several words to translate it. He said, it is finished. But it was one Greek word, and the Greek word was the very word used by manufacturers and shopkeepers who used to write it on a bill that had been paid in full. And the person used to come in, they used to say, oh yes, this is your bill. And they used to say that, so many drachmas, so many shekels, whatever it was. And the person used to cough up the money, and they used to write that Greek word right along the bottom of the bill, paid in full. And that was the word that Jesus actually used on the cross. Paid in full, I've paid for every sin, not just for ours, but the sins of the whole world paid through Jesus on the cross. Now, isn't that wonderful? Incidentally, there was a, a, an archaeological team recently in uh, Egypt who uh, actually came across the basement of a, a shop. They found thousands and thousands of bills, all with this Greek word written on the bottom. It's finished. This is the end of the account as far as these people are concerned. All right, so in other words, God has provided through the work of Jesus full forgiveness. 
And that forgiveness is available for everyone in the world. How do you receive it then? There are two things that are necessary to receive forgiveness. One, you have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Two, you have to confess your sin. If you don't confess your sin, then it, the sin is not forgiven. You have to confess your sin to receive that forgiveness. Now, that's the message that the Bible gives. That's the message going out into all the world. There is forgiveness through Christ. And every person in the world has to decide whether this is a true message or whether it is not a true message. Why is it that it's through Christ and Christ alone? Well, the answer's in the blood, you know. And if we go to Hebrews, and chapter 9, verse 22, Hebrews 9, 22, let's have a look what it says, and this will explain a lot as we go on. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, and he's referring to the law in the Old Testament. And this is the statement that he makes. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. You just have to read the Old Testament and you see the blood flowing. The sacrifices were very bloody. The blood flowed and there was much of it around. And then it says, And without the shedding of blood there is no remission. And this is why we can say that the blood has got to be spilt before there can be forgiveness and remission of sins. Now, what blood is it? Is it the blood of animals? No, sir. If you read on in Hebrews 10 verse 4, it makes this bold statement. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. There's only one person's blood that can take away sins, and it's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's the message that goes out. By the way, if there was any other way to deal with sin, Jesus' message would have been different. He would have just made an appearance for a few years and gone around saying, by the way, be good, do your best, you'll be all right. And then he'd, he'd have gone. And that would have been, and we'd have all gone, he would have given us an example, we would have followed that example, and all our sins would have been dealt with through that example. The fact that Jesus had to stay and die shows that there was no other way but through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that sin could be forgiven. Now that's the message every person hears. Those who believe it accept the work of Jesus, they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and their sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus. We are those who believe this message, that there is no other answer to sin but the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are those who put our trust in him. We have trust in none other. Nothing else can solve my sin. There is no other answer to sin. But there's the answer in the blood of Jesus Christ. And we've received it. So we are born again. Those who reject it have a problem. And it's a big problem. You see, if they're rejecting the solution, unfortunately, they've still got the problem. You imagine all the people around you. From the day one, they were sinning. Sinning, 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 sinning. And the tragedy is that sin has effects. Did you know that? The Bible talks about the wages of sin. Wherever there's sin, there is something that follows sin. Always. Whatever sin has been committed, there are repercussions. And the sin remains, and the repercussions remain. Now you take Mr. Average, right? Another outside. Here he is, 
he might be, say, 60. Let's choose a, a glorious age, 60. You retire from work. Unfortunately, you don't retire from sin at that particular age. For 60 years, he has been sinning. Every single sin remains in him, every single one. And the effects of every single sin are still operating in his body and in his life. And every day he's adding new sins and new consequences to his life. And can you imagine, as he gets older, the weight of sin gradually increases. And the effects of the sin gradually increase. I don't know whether you read autobiographies at all, do you? Or biographies. Uh, whenever I go on holiday, I always grab a couple and read through. I like to know what, how other people live. And it's amazing when you look at the, the lives of unregenerate people, how the sin that they commit during their life catches up with them very often in their old age. I read uh, quite recently the biography of Enid Blyton. And she has, uh, you know, you think Enid Blyton, noddy. You know, big ears, the famous five, the secret seven, whatever it was, and, and a nice smile comes on, onto your face. She was not a nice piece of work, was Enid Blyton. Her, she didn't like her mother. She had a terrible time with her mother. She rejected her mother at the age of 18. She wouldn't have anything to do with her. When she became a very famous writer, her mother wrote to her, saying, darling, can I come and see you? She wouldn't even answer the letter. She rejected it. When she got married, she wouldn't even go. When her mother was on her deathbed, she wouldn't go to see her. Her brother begged her to go. She wouldn't go. She wasn't a nice piece of work. You know what happened? She thought she could get away with it, but the sin was in her. The effects of the sin were there. As she got older, her mind went. And the day came when she rang up her brother, said, I've got to go and say sorry to Mama. And he said, but she's dead. No, she's not. She's not. She's in the house. I know. We must go. The brother had to take her to the house, to show her the house, to show her that it wasn't mother living there. Enid Blyton ended her life off her head. The effects of the sin caught up and were cumulative. They are in everyone. And the tragedy is the people who reject the blood of Jesus, they know they've got sin there. We call it the weight of sin. And so it is. It's a weight, it's a pressure, it's a heaviness. They can't get free of it. But they will try and get free of it. You know, don't you, that if you reject the blood of Jesus, you've got to deal with the sin problem some other way. And they do. And some people go and be psychoanalyzed, you know. And what they feel is if you understand the problem, then it will go. And so they're psychoanalyzed and uh, they understand the problem. It doesn't touch the real problem. Sin cannot be psychoanalyzed away. Someone, by the way, talked about psychoanalysis, a non-Christian psychologist. He said, it's fine, he said. The only problem with it is it doesn't work. And that's right. And it doesn't deal with the sin problem. Or they uh, listen to some person who says, well, you see, you only feel this guilt and this pressure from sin because you've got a morality, you know. And I bet you believed in God when you were little. Oh, yes, I did. And I bet you believe in the Ten Commandments. Yes, I did. Well, you see, that's where the pressures come. Now, you've got to reject all of these standards. Whatever you want to do, you do it. Right? Eat, drink, be merry. Now, forget the end of that. For tomorrow, you die. Um, just do whatever you like. Come on. If you like that, that's what you're like. You let yourself off the hook. And so they try and deny God his standards, and they think there's cleansing in that. There's no cleansing. It doesn't work. 
So they start saying, well, uh, uh, well, of course, you know, uh, the reason I'm like this is so-and-so and so. They, they try and excuse it away. It doesn't work. The sin is still there. The pressure's still there. Older people have this tendency to say, I was a bit of a lad when I was younger, you know. Have you heard people say this? Or, when, well, when I was 18, I used to do my bit of thieving. Have you heard people say this? And then they add, well, of course, it was a long time ago. And what they're sort of saying is that the time has cleansed the sin. You see, it was a long time ago, so it's been cleansed. It hasn't been cleansed. It's a tragedy. I think it is more or less now proven that everything we hear, everything we see, and everything we experience, we remember. It's in us forever, right? For our life, that is, on the earth. I think that's proven. Some things, of course, are in our conscious memory. You know, we can recall certain things. The rest is in our subconscious or our unconscious part of our, our being. But we remember everything. You see, I think that is proven, generally. You imagine it, every sin you've committed is in there. It's still within you, somewhere. You may have forgotten it. You may have forgotten, you know, the consequences of a sin. You may have forgotten the hurt that you caused here, the hurt that was caused to you there. But actually, it is still actually within you. We catch a glimpse of this, don't we, when uh, someone says to us, oh, do you remember such and such? And we say, no. And then they give us a clue. And as they give us a clue, we say, oh, yes, it's still there. Have you ever done that? I mean, you see it on quizzes, don't you? And they say, what is the capital of France? Don't know. <laughs> France. France. Capital of France. And they go, p, 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 no, don't, pa oh, Paris. It was there all the time. Have you ever met someone and they said, oh, hello? You remember me, don't you? And you say, um, hold on, just a minute. And you say, I've never seen them before in my life. And, um, do you want, uh, and then they describe the time that you met. And suddenly you say, do you know, I do remember you. It's there. I remember once uh, walking past a, a shop and freshly baked bread had just come out of the oven. I'll never forget this experience. And I was about 26 at the time. And I suddenly stopped and I smelt the smell. I thought, that's lovely. Suddenly I thought, where did I smell that before? And suddenly I remembered Borough Limarche in Lincolnshire. A boy of eight. I was a boy of eight. I had gone there on holiday and there's a windmill there and it had produced fresh baked bread. It all came flooding back. Going efting, you know, going for the newts and things. I remembered it all. I'd forgotten it all until that point. Everything you do and everything you say and everything you've seen is in there. I've sometimes actually wondered whether the books that are opened on the great judgment day aren't in heaven, they're perhaps inside of us now. And everything we do is written down in these particular books. And on that day, we will have perfect recall. They will be opened up and it's all there, folks. Praise God, every sin that we commit is blotted out. Hallelujah. But the world trying to deny the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's got it all there. And they walk around with all of this weight upon them. Can you imagine it? No wonder the world generally seems to be on the verge of a nervous breakdown. This weight of sin, the weight of the consequences and all the rest. Terrible. If they can't solve the sin problem, they've got to deal with it somehow. And many of them, of course, try and blot it out. 
The way to blot it out in the world generally is to go on a binge of some sort. So they have a massive social world, you see. And Friday night, Saturday night, they're out on the town and they're all trying to blot something out. It's not outside, it's in them. Get drunk, blot it out. Go on the drugs, blot it out. Go for this experience, blot it out. Try and come out of yourself, blot it out. TM, whatever it is. But it's an attempt to deal with sin that is still there and sin that hasn't been dealt with. And the pressure and the weight is just too much. Some people try and sleep it off. You see? Oh, well, I'll go, just go to sleep. You know, give me the sleeping pills and I'll just sleep it off. And that's it. They're trying to blot something out. Hamlet thought this, didn't he? You Shakespeare's Hamlet. To sleep. He said that. To sleep. And then all of a sudden there was a problem. Perchance to dream. He said, oh yes, sleep doesn't work either because you have a nightmare. Aye, that's the rub, he says. That's the problem. Even in my dream I'm chasing, uh, uh, running away from the thing that's chasing me. I can't get free of this thing. But they try and do it, you see. Other people uh, flagellate themselves, you know, in a certain way. They try, they realize they're sinners, they realize there's a weight of sin, and so they try now, through giving away their money, through doing this and doing that, to try and appease it. It doesn't work, because the sin's still there. It is reckoned that Gandhi, can I just tell you this, lived such a good life in the latter part of his life, because he was actually doing something extremely immoral, when he heard that his mother had died. And he loved his mother. And he'd lived a totally immoral life. And the shock of this was so great, he tried to appease for the rest of his life by living this simple life. Tragedy is, the sin wasn't touched. It was undealt with. Some people go into depression. You know, that self-imposed sort of discipline. They're trying to, to have their sin dealt with. But they can't do it. And this is the agony of the person outside who's rejected the answer. What do they do? And what a problem they've got, by the way. You see, some of their life they can remember. Most of their life they can't recall. It's still there, but they can't recall it. Now, even if they can deal with the sins they can recall, they can't touch the sins they can't recall. Isn't that a problem? And in fact, the more they think about the sins, the worse it gets. It simply reinforces it. And your non-Christian neighbours are under tremendous stress from sin. It's a terrible problem. What is the solution? There is no solution but one. I love this little chorus that we sing, and Susie Kirby in our fellowship sings it fairly frequently. What can wash away my stain? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And what can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other name I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And it's so wonderful for us when you realize this. When you were saved, when you ask God to forgive you for your sins, first of all, the sins were blotted out, white as snow, all gone. But more than that, the consequences of the sin were removed as well. That's why we say, the weight and the burden of sin has rolled away. Have you heard people say that? 
right? It rolled away. You took the burden from your back. You left it at the foot of the cross of Calvary. That's exactly right. There is no better explanation than that. And beloved, the lovely thing is that the blood of Jesus is the thing that solves the sin problem absolutely, and it doesn't only deal with the sin, it deals with all the consequences as well. And that is why, as we get older as Christians, right, not in legalism, but living in God's grace and forgiveness, we find our mentality increases, praise God. We enjoy life more than we've ever enjoyed it before, and we enjoy the presence of the Lord better and better and better. That's the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Let's have a look, by the way, just at uh, a few verses here. Um, verse 26, look at this. Halfway through the verse, but now once... In the end of the world hath Jesus appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Isn't that wonderful? To put it away. Sin is not the problem as far as we are concerned. It's been removed. We don't have to live under the consequences of it anymore. Hebrews 10, 14. Look at this. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. There's the forgiveness of sins through the blood of the Lord Jesus. All right. Now, God wants us to experience the forgiveness of sins. And this is not automatic, unfortunately. You can believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you can ask him to forgive your sins. But very often, even though you've done that, you don't feel as if the sin has been removed. And there are two things that it is essential that you and I learn to do. And it's the second one that really is the main subject for tonight. But the two things are these. One, not only must you believe God's forgiven you, one, you've got to forgive yourself. Aye, there's the rub. That's a problem. Two, and this is the one we're on tonight, you've got to forgive others also. For completeness, let's deal with number one. We've got to learn to forgive ourselves. I don't know about you, but that is what I find the hardest part of forgiveness, especially when other people are involved. Are you the same as me? I find it very difficult. Right? It's generally those who have a tendency towards pride that have this problem of not forgiving themselves. You see, I can believe that God's forgiven me, but if I've hurt someone else, how on earth do I reach the place where I forgive myself? And sometimes we think, oh no, look what I've done, and they know all about it, and I've hurt them, and look at the distress I've caused them, and what am I going to do, and oh, this is terrible. And you say to them, I just can't look you in the face, I just can't. Has this ever happened to you? Yes? It's hard, isn't it, to forgive ourselves? We've got to understand this, that that actually is rooted in pride. That's all it is. You know, we've got certain standards, certain morality, and we were trying to live up to it, and we've let ourselves down. So God's forgiven us, but we can't quite forgive ourselves. Oh dear, it's hard to live with. It really is, you see. We've got to be very careful if we don't forgive ourselves, because do you know, not forgiving yourself is actually saying to God, God, I've got higher standards than you've got. Do you realize that's it? What you're saying is, well, God, you accept the blood of Jesus Christ as the perfect offering for my sin. You've wiped the slate clean through the blood of Jesus, but I can't quite accept that. 
In other words, I've got higher standards than you have, God, and though you forgive me, I can't forgive myself. Oh, it is a problem. It really is. Beloved, if that is your problem, you've got to confess the sin of pride. That's what you've got to do. And sometimes it's not awful sins that are our problem. It's the minor sort of things. Can I tell you one of the areas I had the greatest trouble with just a few years ago? A certain couple in the fellowship, I don't know whether they're here tonight or not, they'll know. They rang me up and said, Roger, we want you to come for a meal. Roz and yourself, we want you to come and we're going to really pull the stops out and we want to give you the best meal we can provide. And they said, now we know how busy you are, so we're not going to ask you in the next three months, we're going to give you six months' notice. And I said, oh, you don't have to do that. And no, we insist, right? We want you to have a completely relaxing evening. The phone's going to be off. We're going to give you anything you want, right? And you just come along and do it. And I said, well, that's very kind. I looked in my diary, and we found a date, and they marked it in. And I said, that's fine. I told Roz, absolutely fine. Problem is, I didn't mark it in my diary. <laughs> and so the six months went on. How minor, how trivial this is. It was major to me. And uh, Ros and I had had something to eat that evening, and the phone went. And it was this chap on the phone. I said, hello. He said, hello. He said, have you eaten? I said, yes. Oh, he said. He said, was it big? And I said, yes, fairly big. Oh, he said. And I said, why? What's the problem? He said, uh, we spent all day preparing the meal for tonight. And suddenly I remembered. Oh, dear, oh, dear. What could I do? I said, I'm so sorry. You know what I'm like. If I do something, I mean, you, you get ten apologies from me. Oh, I said, no, I'm so sorry. Oh, you know, I really wish I could get rid of the food somehow and rush around there, <laughs> you know, and enjoy it. Oh, I said, he said, look, it's all right. And I said, oh, no, it's not. What can I? I called Rosalind. No, she said, in a state of collapse on the sofa. <laughs> oh, no. And they'd worked so hard, and it had cost them so much, and we'd already eaten, and it was a major problem. Oh, no. Oh, dear, oh, dear. I said, look, come round for a meal with us next week. You see? He said, no, it's not necessary. It's all right. I forgive you. Oh, look, I, I couldn't let it go. That I said, look, it's terrible. I, I, oh, fancy, I haven't done... Oh, dear, what can we do? Can we come round? He said, look, it's all right. We'll go and pick up some waifs and strays, and we'll invite them in for the meal. The waste and strays are here tonight. I've seen them, right? <laughs> forgive me calling you a waste and stray, won't you? You've got to forgive me tonight. And it was terrible. And we put the phone down. Oh, what? Oh, no. Oh, not that. And we asked God to forgive us. He forgave us. Oh, oh, oh. What are we? When we met them the next day, oh, how can we stay? Oh, this is. And really, you see, we couldn't forgive ourselves in all of this. And what I was trying to do by giving them a meal in return, I was actually trying to appease for my sins, as if giving them a meal was going to deal with the problem. It didn't deal with it. And it was so lovely because God really pointed at my pride. You see? Oh, it will get round now. Oh, yes, we spent all afternoon preparing this meal. And they didn't bother to turn up. Right? And then I thought, oh, they're going to think we don't love them. We don't care. You know, it was so meaningless to us. We didn't even mark it on the diary. It all came up. You can imagine the sort of thing we went through. The lovely thing is, God, A, forgave us and brought Ros and I to the place, and it took quite an effort, where we actually could forgive ourselves. 
And it was so lovely then because I was then able to go around and say, we're going to take you out for a meal. He says, it's not necessary. I say, I know it's not necessary, but we're going to do it. And I wasn't doing it to get forgiveness. I was doing it because I loved them, you know, because I wanted to actually do it. I actually forgave myself at that particular time. Okay? I do think, by the way, that even though we know God has forgiven us, and even though we forgive ourselves, I do like what I call decent tears. Do you know? I do find some people don't have decent tears. And they sort of say, well, I know I've done that to you, but God's forgiven me. And there they are. And I mean, it's adding insult to injury, isn't it? You've hurt these people, and what they're more or less saying is, well, if God's forgiven me, you've got to forgive me. It's true. They've got to forgive you. But there you are. Well, that's it. No, no. Well, I'm sorry. Don't look hurt. You've got to forgive me. I do like a few decent tears around the place, you know? And I do think it's lovely not to gain the forgiveness, because the forgiveness comes by grace. I do think it's lovely if you've injured someone and damaged someone that you actually do go and in some way cement your love again. I do think that's lovely. I don't think enough of it is done in the body of Christ. Don't you agree? I really don't think. I think, you know, we're a bit harsh, really, about, well, God's forgiven me, and that's it. You can go and hang, right? I don't think that's right. And I think we do need, if anything, one, to learn to forgive ourselves, but then to learn to be tender-hearted to the ones that we've actually damaged and injured, injured in some way. And I think we ought to go the extra mile, then, with them not to gain appeasement. I repeat it again, right? But actually to deal with uh, perhaps their wounded heart or whatever it is that you've, you've caused in them. You'll notice, by the way, if you offend the policeman, you have to do that. If you notice that, if you go and nick a car, sorry, steal a car, you go and steal a car now outside this building, right? I won't tell you where mine is. If you go and steal my car, and I will pray that the police catch up with you, now, they take you along to the cells. You are actually then given, say, a three-month imprisonment or six months imprisonment. And so you can go to your cells. You can ask God to forgive you. It doesn't cut any ice with the policeman. Have you noticed that? <laughs> it's no good saying, going into a judge and say, Judge, before you declare this, God's declared me righteous. Because he'll look at you and say, well, God might have declared you righteous, but you're not righteous, and you are going to go to prison. And I think that's a good rule for us. You know, even though if we've hurt one another and damaged one another, yes, we've received forgiveness, we've forgiven ourselves, but I think as a forgiven man, we should go and actually make amends for the thing that we have done. Don't you agree with that? Right. That's the first thing. You must learn to forgive yourself. The root of not forgiving yourself is pride. However, the main subject I want to speak about tonight, because we're on spiritual exercise, is this. Because you've been forgiven, do you know it's your bounden duty to forgive others? Do you know that's the case? And that's number two. You've got to forgive other people. And this isn't put in gentle terms in the Bible. It's put in the most devastating terms. Let me just show you in the Gospels exactly how this is expressed. And I think you'll agree with me. It is quite devastating. In fact, these passages have caused a number of problems to certain Christians. Let's have a look at Luke and chapter 17. Let's have a look at this, and then we'll see two others. Luke chapter 17 and verse 3 and 4. Now, let's take verse 3 first of all. Luke 17, verse 3. He says this, Take heed to yourselves, if thy brother trespass against thee, 
And I think the implication is here, he knew what he was doing, folks. It's deliberate what he's done. Rebuke him. In other words, go and tell him that you are offended by what he's done. And then it says, and if he repent, forgive him. Now that's what it says. If he doesn't repent, by the way, there's an order, a procedure to go through. If someone's deeply offended you and they will not repent, you have a particular order to go through, which I think I've dealt with on the Fellowship Life series. I'm not going to go through it here. This talks about forgiveness. I have to say immediately, most Christians don't know what forgiveness is about. Most Christians do not move in forgiveness. Do you know what they move in? They move in excusing. There is worlds of difference between forgiveness and excusing. Do you know that's the case? Excusing is this. They've got a perfectly legitimate excuse, so you say, oh, I understand, so I'll let you off. That's excusing. The sort of thing, someone has lost their temper with you, they've flown off the handle, and they've let you have it between the eyes. Right? Kapow! You're offended. So you let them calm down, then you go and see them and say, excuse me, but I was deeply offended when you spoke to me in the way that you spoke to me. I'm not looking at anyone here, by the way, right? I was deeply offended when you spoke to me in that sort of way. Now, they might say, oh, Roger, do forgive me. You see, I'd had a busy morning, right? We've run out of Weetabix, the milk was off, <laughs> the children were noisy. Oh, I'd been to town, I hadn't been able to get in, everyone wanted to see me. I was just really frazzled. And when you met me, you just seemed to touch a raw nerve, and up I went! And then you say, oh, well, now you understand. Oh, oh, well, I forgive you. You're not forgiving them. You're excusing them at that point, aren't you? No, no, no. And most of us actually move in excusing. The problem is when we meet someone who hasn't got an excuse, they say, yeah, I did do it because I don't like you. <laughs> what do you do? Yes, I know I shouldn't have done it, and, you know, and I ask you to forgive me. What do you do? It's there where there is no excuse. You have to go into pure, distilled grace. And at that point you say, then I forgive you. And you suspect they don't really mean it. But they still are, please forgive me. Still loathe you. Please, I know it's wrong, I know it's wrong, but that's how I feel, I know it's wrong, please forgive me. Then it says, right, there is an excuse on the horizon. I forgive you. Is that really what we should do? Yes, it is. Now read on. Now this gets worse. Oh dear. Verse 4. And this contradicts some of the teaching on repentance, I'm afraid, that is so popular in these days, and I'm afraid I don't really agree with it at all. Verse 4 says this, And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, seven times, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Now today, we don't. What we say is, you've done it again, haven't you? You've done it again. Yes, please forgive me, I repent. What we say is, your repentance isn't genuine. That's what we say. I hear people say, well, you see, repentance is only genuine, you know, if it's really deep. Deep repentance is what's talked about, or something like this. And you'll notice here, Jesus doesn't actually say that. He doesn't put the onus on the one who says he repents. He puts the onus on the one who's got to forgive. This person does something, and I think the suggestion is here deliberately against you. He then says to you, I shouldn't have done it, forgive me. You forgive him. 
Then you find an hour later he's done exactly the same thing. And you go and see him, you rebuke him again, double rebuke, right? I didn't get angry before, I'm going to get angry if this continues. You've done it again. I know, as soon as I did it, I knew that it was wrong. Please, will you forgive me? Well then, begrudgingly, you might say, well, all right, I forgive you. An hour later, he's done it again. At that point, most people cut in now and say, that's not genuine repentance. If it were genuine repentance, you wouldn't have done it again. So they'd expect Jesus to say, if a chap sins against you seven times in one day and he says he repents, don't you believe him? <laughs> it's not real repentance. Oh dear, oh dear. I'm afraid you can't get off the hook as easily as this. Jesus says, if a man sins against you, trespasses against you, seven times in one day and he turns and he repents seven times, you've got to forgive him. Everything within us screams out and says, no, I'm not going to be put through that again. I won't. I don't have to be trodden down underfoot. I've got my rights. I've got my pride, you should have said. Right? And, and the reaction to many people is to reject that repentance is true. Jesus does not do that. The onus here is put on how deep you are moving in forgiveness. And the principle behind this, as we'll see in a moment, is this. God forgives you, doesn't he? You just turn around, you just say, Father, forgive me. He forgives you instantly. Never has God said to anyone, you ask me to forgive you again. Ha! You've never heard that. There's never been a prophecy that says, I won't forgive you again. You've done it again. That when I was a young Christian, I used to make a, a promise to God, God, please forgive me, I'll never do it again crazy. If you're ever praying things like that, you really don't understand your heart, you know. And it was a lie. Crazy. I mean, God should have said, oh, on that, phew, if you're going to make stupid promises like that, forget it, fella, you see. The reaction we ought to have, and the spiritual one, is this. If that is what's demanded of us, Lord, increase our faith. And you'll notice the reaction of the disciples here, verse uh, 5. The apostles said unto the Lord, Lord, increase our faith. That's exactly it. Lord, this is asking more of us than we're capable of, surely. But beloved, it's in this realm we've got to start moving. It's God who will check whether the motive, whether the repentance is genuine. You've got to take the person at face value. You've got to do it. That's what Jesus is saying here. The onus here is not what some teachers give. The onus is the opposite. The onus is upon the person who forgives not upon the person who repents at this point. By the way, God will deal with that particular per person. All right, now if that's a, a hard verse, what about this? Have you ever seen Mark chapter 11? Oh dear. Mark eleven twenty-five, And this is very difficult. Verse 25, verse 26, and there is no explaining this away. This is what it says. Verse 25, 26. And when you stand praying, forgive. If you have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. I'm going to read them again. Verse 25 and 26. And when you stand praying, forgive. 
If ye have ought against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. Well, oh, but that's only one verse. Oh, is it? Go back to Matthew chapter 6, where we began today. Did you notice it as I read it? Now we come to the real hub of the subject now. Verse 14 and 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now this is a major problem. Because we know there are passages of Scripture that say if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just, he'll forgive you your sin. Doesn't it? And it doesn't add anything as long as you do this, 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 and this. So what is this actually talking about in this particular verse? Can I give you the sort of scenario, and I think you'll understand it after what I've said. Do you remember I've said that one, you've got sin, two, you've got the consequences of sin. We all know that's true. When we sin, we feel something, don't we? I mean, it upsets us. We're off. We, we feel out. It's, it's not right. We feel unclean in certain ways. Now, imagine Brother X. There's Brother X over there. And he has deeply hurt you and offended you. He's done something that really hurts. Now, he has asked the Lord for forgiveness. He feels out about this thing. He's asked God to forgive him. God removes the sin and the effects of the sin from his life. By God's grace and by the blood of Jesus, it's done. The trouble is, you're not going to let him get off the hook. You're not going to do it. So what you do is this. He comes up to you and says, Brother, I've offended you and I've done this. I repent and I'm sorry for what I've done. So you say, well, I forgive you, but you don't. Not really. It's words. As that brother moves away from you, he knows you haven't really forgiven him. He can feel it. In other words, you are keeping the consequences of his sin on his shoulders, aren't you? Every time he meets you, he feels the effects of that sin. God's forgiven him. God's released him from the effects of the sin, but you're not. You are keeping that brother in bondage under the effects of his sin. Has it ever happened to you, this? Oh, it's happened so many times to me. I can't stand it. It's horrific. There's nothing you can do. Every time you meet that person, there's a barrier. And you say, oh, hello, hello. And you know that they've got something against you. They, you know, you've asked God to forgive. God's forgiven you. You've asked them to forgive you. They said they did, but they haven't. And the consequences of your sin are on your shoulders, and it's not God putting them on your shoulders. The person who said they forgave are putting them on you. Terrible. And have you noticed this? There is no way you can escape from their clutches. Say, for example, you feel from the Lord you should give him 20 pounds, right? And you say, brother, I just feel I should give you this 20 pounds from the Lord. Oh, thank you, they say. And they walk off, and you know what they're thinking. Oh, they think they can buy me off with 20 pounds. They still keep it, notice. And they walk off. <laughs> you know something's wrong. You know that if you say something that isn't quite right, they'll pounce on it like a ton of bricks. Everything you say is misinterpreted. Everything you do is misinterpreted. You can't do anything right. 
you just have to look at them. Right? You just have to gaze round the room. And they say, hi, hi, he's looking at me again. And you know that's their reaction. Now, do you see what they're doing? They are keeping you in bondage. That's what they are doing. They say they've forgiven you, but the consequences of the sin are still on your shoulders. You can't be free with them in the slightest way. Now, what God says is this. Eternally, your sins are forgiven. If you are keeping a brother or sister in bondage like that, you'll be in the same bondage from your sin. That's what Jesus says. You keep another brother in unforgiveness so that the effects of his forgiven sin are still on his shoulders, you will experience the same effect from your forgiven sins. That's the declaration here. Unless you forgive your brethren, you're not going to experience the forgiveness of sins either. And this is the effect that unforgiveness has. It, doesn't, it not only affects the person you're keeping in bondage, it affects you as well. Because you are brought into bondage by this particular thing. All right, to show you that, can we go to Matthew 18 and have a look at, at this? And again, this is an absolutely uncompromising passage. Matthew 18. And before I get on to the passage, can I just read verse 19 and 20? Now look what it says here. Again, I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. And this agreement means a heart and a soul agreement between them. It isn't a matter of, will you agree with me, I'll get a new car. Yes. It doesn't mean that. Or do we agree? That, uh, it's not that. This is a unity between two people. This is talking not about a, a, a wrong sort of uh, agreement. It's saying two people actually are in agreement with one another. It's a passive sort of thing. They dwell in agreement together. There's nothing between them at all. And if that's the case, they should ask anything. It will be done unto them. Verse 20, for where two or three are gathered together, and the implication in the Greek here is the same, they dwell together in peace. There's nothing between this person or that person. In my name, there am I in the midst. Now then it starts talking about forgiveness. Because unforgiveness is the thing that causes greatest disunity, I think. It's a major problem in the church of Jesus Christ. Then now look at this, it, goes, it gets worse. You thought seven times in one day was bad. You have a look at this, verse 21. Then came Peter to him. Peter's got the revelation for seven. Hallelujah. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? I can do it now. Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. The emphasis here is this. That's how much I've forgiven you. And if I've forgiven you that much, you must forgive other people. You don't have a leg to stand on in unforgiveness. There is no Christian that can ever, ever, ever justify unforgiveness. Absolutely not. Because you've got to forgive as Father's forgiven you. It's essential. Now then Jesus tells this story, and notice how it comes out. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he began to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents, and for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment was to be made. 
he owed the king a vast sum of money. So much so, all of his children had to be sold into slavery, the whole of his house would have to be sold, and all the rest. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. Moved with compassion, I forgive you, says the king. Didn't have to forgive him, he was owed the money. It was genuine debt. I forgive you, he says. You don't owe me a penny. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him an hundred pence. I mean, that's just nothing compared to the debt he's just been forgiven. And he laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. He would not but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant! And that's what unforgiveness is. It is sheer wickedness. That's what Jesus says about it. And wicked servant is the phrase that he uses to believers in this day who do not move in forgiveness. They've received fantastic forgiveness. They will not forgive the person who has done them wrong. Oh, you wicked, wicked, wicked servant is what the Lord would say to you. I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I have pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors. Do you notice that? Till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, he says, if ye from your hearts Forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. It's totally uncompromising. And the emphasis here is not on the truth of repentance. The emphasis here is on the quality of forgiveness. We must not permit anything to excuse our unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is sheer, sheer wickedness. And we learn several things from this. First of all, we learn this. If you bring another person into bondage through your unforgiveness, you will end up in bondage yourself. If you put another person in prison, it's you that will end up in prison. I've learnt this so much, right? I have learnt it. I've seen it happen so often. Someone has a spirit of unforgiveness and they can't bear a certain person because of it. So they run them down. They malign them. They use every opportunity to get at them. The person they attack actually isn't the one who is worst affected. They are the one who is worst affected. They stab themselves in the back. By the way, I just say this to you. I've seen it happen in my own life. When you speak as many words as I do, you offend many, many people. Right? I don't offend as many as I thought that I would, funny enough. It's, it's fairly rare. I always try and ask forgiveness if I've ever done that, you see. But I've known some people who've tried to take pot shots at me and so on. You know, the little innuendo running down. Oh, it's no nothing direct, but it's little. 
I always see, you know, Isaiah 54, 17 coming into operation. It's the heritage of the servants of the Lord, you know, that the Lord fights for them. But you're a servant of the Lord, the heritage is yours as well. Don't you dare ever try and get back at them. Let the Lord deal with these people, and he will. I've seen people impoverished, not because anyone's done anything to them, but through their own mouths they've been impoverished. Isn't it horrific? If you ever hear someone taking pot shots at someone else, running them down, you know, dropping it here, I think you perhaps should ask God, is this a spirit of unforgiveness that they've got? Why are they doing this? What is the evil? What's the wickedness behind this thing? And notice, they're delivered to the tormentors. And that means, A, sin, their own sin, will affect them. They will actually feel the pressure and weight of the sin that God has forgiven in their lives. They will do that. More than that, I believe God does allow oppression from the enemy. Demonic oppression, I believe it. And I'll tell you this, no ministry in all the world, no tape in all the world, no personal counselling in all the world will deliver you until you have actually come to a place of forgiving your brother or your sister for what they've done. There is no one in this room, no one, that you should not forgive. There is no excuse for unforgiveness. Absolutely none. You are a wicked servant if you have unforgiveness towards anyone at all. And here it says, the Father will do this to you if you not do forgive your brother from the heart. You see? All right? Do you notice, by the way, in the Lord's Prayer, remember how it goes on? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. Deliver us from evil. Right? Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one is what it's saying. Do you see the connection between these two? Lord, we forgive them. Please deliver me from the evil one, the tormentor that is upon my life. I believe in our fellowship here, in the churches generally, we don't move in enough forgiveness. Do you know it says that real love takes no thought of a suffered wrong? That is really asking too much. Yes, it is. But that's why you've got the Holy Spirit to empower you for this. Do you, you imagine it? If every single fellowship moved in forgiveness like that, wouldn't it be wonderful? You wouldn't get any little cliques thinking they're better than these, taking pot shots, gossiping about this person, backbiting about that person, running this person down. Wouldn't be anything like that. All the time we would be forgiving. Oh, it doesn't matter. I forgive you. Isn't it, I don't want to live down in the mud pit. You know, I really don't want to live on that level. I think forgiveness is so lovely. I can honestly say to every person in this room, there's not a person in this room that I've got anything against. Isn't that wonderful? Praise God. It's absolutely true. If I had something against you, I would have come to see you by now. I've got nothing against anyone in this room. I forgive you everything. Hallelujah. Isn't that nice? This is a matter of dealings that God's got to have in your heart. And don't uh, try and be wrong about this. I'm afraid I don't like the meetings where people walk across to one another and sort of hug them. Because what, sometimes I think it's not quite pure, you know. I mean, A over there, right, he's deeply offended me. This chap has, over there has deeply offended me, right? And I've got to forgive him. It's terribly easy for me to walk across the meeting and stand there, my hand on his shoulder, Say, I just want to say that you hurt me very deeply, in front of 4,000 people here, you hurt me very, very deeply, but I forgive you. Now, 
I don't think that's quite pure, because really what you're doing is getting a pound of flesh. Everyone's going to know how he's hurt you. He's going to be exposed to public, you know, public display what he's done. And then you announce at the end, good old you, you've forgiven him. Oh, how wonderful. Fancy, isn't that wonderful? He's forgiven him. Oh, good old price. Yuck. I don't like it. What I think it's got to be is something much deeper than that. It's got to be a no-holds-barred forgiveness. I forgive you. I utterly forgive you. If someone's, if I've offended you, don't go and tell your neighbour about it. Why don't you come and tell me about it? It's only gossip, you know, right? It's only the flesh going on. And all you're doing, really, is moving in the flesh, having a good old fleshly time. And they'll agree with you, I'm sure. Every bad thing you say about me, they'll agree utterly. You'll have a wonderful time. God says, you wicked, evildoer. Right? If you've got something against me, you come and see me, privately, tomorrow. Right? Praise the Lord. I bet I'll say, I repent. I bet I will. And then you've got to forgive me. Hallelujah. God will deal with, I will genuinely repent. Praise God. Don't do it publicly. Please. Don't do it where you're in a pressurized situation and you might get your pound of flesh. Do it with all the humility that is in your heart. I think it's a lovely thing to move you know, in this realm of forgiveness. One last scripture I want to go to. Malachi 4, verse 6. Malachi, chapter 4, verse 6. The very last verse of the Bible. Can I read verse 5 and 6? I wonder whether you've ever noticed what an odd place for uh, the Old Testament to end. It says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, Look at this, verse 6. He shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. In other words, the fathers have got to be right with the children, the children must be right with the fathers, and if they're not, there'll be a cursing that I will send upon the earth. I believe in this is a message for the church. That if we're going to see God's day coming. If we're going to see the blessing of abundance that he's promised, brother has got to be reconciled with brother, sister with sister, brother with sister, and sister with brother. And there is no excuse. It's got to happen. Otherwise, the cursing. You see, I think many works of God are held up by plain unforgiveness in the midst. We've got to have it dealt with. We really must. There are two sides, really, to what I've said. One, if you have offended your brother, if you have and damaged him, please, may we have some decent tears about this thing, right? And may we actually learn what repayment really means, you know, making it up to the person. Not to gain forgiveness, but because we are forgiven. Secondly, if someone has offended you, please, will you move into distilled grace and forgive them? release them from the bondage you've had them in. And if you catch people taking pot shots at others, you need to pray about that particular brother because that brother or that sister is damaging themselves. And if you love them, I think you'll say something about it. And you'll say, look, it's got to stop this. It's wrong what you're doing. Before the ending quotation, can I just say this? I also want to add, I do feel that still in the Church of Jesus Christ, we have a false morality. There are certain sins that are acceptable to us. There are other sins that are not acceptable. 
I find if I go to SGBMFI, and I'm a member of SGBMFI, there are certain testimonies that are always given. Anyone will confess, well, I used to be a drunkard, I used to swear, I used to do this. There are certain categories of sin that are never talked about. You never have a person with a particular category of sin, or this sin, or that sin, stand up and confess it. Because they know the Christians say, oh. I think we've got to learn that forgiveness is forgiveness. Or sin is beyond the pale as far as God's concerned. And forgiveness covers everything. I just long for the day when we might hear some people stand up and know that their testimony will be received. You know, that terrible evil that they really have done will be forgiven. Many people are very afraid, you know, because they know Christians will reject them if they hear the testimony that they give. I think we've got to get rid of our morality and take on God's morality. And all sin is bad to God. And it's all forgivable. Isn't that wonderful? Hallelujah. Last quotation. Forgiveness is the fragrance left by the flower on the heel of the boot which crushed it. And that's it. Praise God. The boot comes down and crushes you. And your only response is, I forgive you. If you do that, you are following in the footsteps of the Master. Here is spiritual exercise of the highest level, that you move all the time in forgiveness. So they've offended you. I forgive you. Oh, I didn't notice. What a place to be in. You didn't notice that they're so awful to you. I think we've got to go much deeper. I don't know many fellowships that move in this depth. We've got to start doing it. Praise God. Let's pray. Praise God. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, praise you. Praise you, praise you, Lord. Oh, Jesus. Father, we do thank you that you are the great King and we've owed you a terrible debt, Lord. But you have sent the word from heaven, I forgive you everything. Father, I ask you that you will forgive us for the wickedness that we've held others in bondage over the little that they've done to us. Father, when I think of the suffering of Jesus and how he was falsely accused and spat upon and they hit him with sticks and they hit him with their hands and he didn't even open his mouth but he just gazed at them with eyes of love. Forgive us, Lord, that we must be right. We must be proved to be justified. We've got to have our pound of flesh. Forgive us, Lord. Father, I know in the natural we cannot move to this depth, but I ask that by the filling of your Spirit we're going to. Father, I long for our fellowship to be a place where everyone forgives everyone else. And that every meeting is a meeting of forgiveness. And that, Father, we meet on the terms of your grace. Father, may we today declare the year of Jubilee, release to the captives. And may we set our brothers and sisters free. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Now, I want every eye closed at this point, and I don't want anyone to open their eyes at all, please, in this place. If tonight you know 
that you have someone, or perhaps many people, and you've got them in bondage, really, because you haven't forgiven them. Maybe a relative of yours, a non-Christian, might be someone that you work with, who's done something wrong to you. Someone perhaps you don't know who affected you when you were a child. And you know that you've never really forgiven them. Might be a brother and sister in your fellowship. You know that you're not right with them. I'm going to ask you very quietly, with every eye closed, including mine, may I say, that you will just stand where you are in this place. And I'm going to ask God to come and give you such a revelation of the forgiveness he's given you that you will release them. And let's declare release in this place. Very quietly, please, would you just stand just before the Lord in this place. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It might be you've got to forgive me for something. Something I've said, something I've done, whatever it is. But there's someone you've got to release. I'm going to ask you to release them. Father, I don't know how many are standing in this place, but I know there are some. Father, I do ask in Jesus' name that, Father, you will forgive us for our wickedness. That, Father, we've received such fullness of forgiveness from you. Yet we don't forgive those who've trespassed against us. Tonight, Father, I just pray that having received your forgiveness and the release from our sins and the release from the pressure of our sins, that we too might move in grace, distilled grace to one another and release these people. I ask in Jesus' name for all my brothers and sisters in this place. And I ask, Father, in Jesus' name, that now you will give them the ability to forgive. I ask in Jesus' name, Father, that you will cut the, the bands of bondage in Jesus' name. That, Father, if there are any difficulties between individuals based on unforgiveness, you'll sever them in the name of Jesus. And that, Father, there should be wholeness and release in the name of the Lord in this place. And, Father, I know as we do that, we will know the forgiveness of sins ourselves, of that weight rolled away. In Jesus' name, I'm asking you to do it, Lord. Forgive us, we're so rough, tough with one another. Forgive us, we're so insistent with, on our rights with one another. Forgive us that there are such close limits to our forgiveness. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Praise God.